Good evening. I'm Brother Don Cullen. It's my privilege tonight to share God's Word with you. So uh, tonight I really want to follow the leading of the Lord in encouraging the church as we approach our new year, really encouraging the church to pray, to pray, to seek God, and to wait on God. And uh, I want to talk tonight a bit about what the Lord accomplishes in us when we wait on Him. And uh, sometimes waiting on the Lord is really tough. And uh, we have specific prayers that we know are according to the will of God. And we wait sometimes for really long times. And it doesn't seem like the answer comes. So I want to talk tonight about, scripturally, what God is accomplishing in our lives while we wait on Him for these very important things in His will. So... I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and then uh, we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for your word. Please enable your servant to share your word as you intended, Lord, and uh, help me to do a good job with it, and bless the hearts of those who hear it and apply it. And thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, first, let's turn to a scripture about prayer. I think it's a good place to start. Luke 18, verse 1, if we can go there. Hallelujah. Luke 18, verse 1. Here Jesus is speaking. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men, ought always, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice from me, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, she's a pain in the neck, and I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily or suddenly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And I shared about this parable a few years ago when I did a series on prayer. And uh, just from my memory of that study... I recall that this is sort of like the worst-case scenario you could... Jesus designed like a worst-case scenario in the natural world. You have a powerful judge who could care less about anybody. He could care... I I don't care. I don't care. The king, I don't care what the king says. The people, I don't care what the people say. He he doesn't care about anybody. And uh, this little lady comes before him. And as you know, widows in biblical times were uh, really not properly regarded often. They were treated, you know, they were, they, were, they were women, so that wasn't as esteemed as men in that society. And of course, a widow had no one to look out for her. So this is, this is the, the, the really, in, in their mind, the lowest level of their society. And so widows weren't always treated well. So we got this unjust judge, he could care less about anybody. And uh, he's obviously selfish. He's obviously selfish because the main reason he acts on, he's just sick of hearing from her. And it's all about him. 
So he, you know, everything is bad in this scenario, but yet this little lady still sees uh, her desire accomplished. Yeah. And Jesus sets, you know, against this backdrop, our good God, <laughs> who has so much more in every single way. He's the complete opposite of this judge, right? And uh, he's good, and he's kind, and he's attentive, and he's faithful, and he's patient, and he's so good. So if this little lady was able to, uh, to prevail with this guy who was a complete jerk, how much more can we prevail with our Heavenly Father? You know? I find that really encouraging. Um, I, didn't, I, I remember years ago, I didn't know what that parable meant, but eventually I came to understand it, and I got a big kick out of it. Anyway, so eventually, you know, really the bottom line of this particular parable is that eventually, it really is a, a parable about the coming judgment on the earth. In other words, this is a time of grace and long-suffering right now. God is really cutting people a lot of wonderful, you know, slack on this earth while he waits for the gospel to take effect in their lives. But there is coming a day when that is absolutely going away. And it will be the last thing that God completes in terms of answering prayer. If you really study this, that's what he's saying. In other words, he's holding off and he's holding off and he's holding off. He's long-suffering, the Bible says, to usward, not willing that any should perish. So he's holding off and he's holding off and he's holding off. But you know, there's people all over the earth that are being terribly persecuted and martyred. And they go through hard, even to this day, Christians are the most persecuted people on the earth right now. And throughout history, this is the case. And those people and their suffering, they have prayed and they've pleaded with the Lord. Lord, when are you going to help us? When are you going to come to our aid? Even in the book of Revelations in chapter 6, it says that they're under the throne. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord, how long? But throughout this age, he's going to continue to show his mercy and his patience. But ultimately, the last thing he will finally do when his wrath is completely filled up and the measure of his cup is completely filled up, he will pour out his wrath on this earth. You know? So all those prayers, are all those prayers of all those people being disregarded? Absolutely not. God will answer all of those prayers. Uh, turn to Revelation 6-9. You, you'll, see, you'll see that right there. Revelation 6-9. This isn't a message about judgment, but I do want to say that all of our prayers, all of our prayers go up to God. None of our prayers are disregarded by God. I'm going to show you that tonight. Even this prayer that is accumulating and building and building and building. Uh, Revelation 6-9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Lord, excuse me, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So all of these prayers of all of these saints, including the ones in heaven, are still, Lord, how long, how long? God does not forget any of those. And in the book of Revelations, we see his wrath poured out during the tribulation period. So, anyway, how much more will God do for his beloved people, the things that promote his will on this earth, right now in this time of long-suffering? God is faithful to deliver good to his people in the meantime. 
and to help his people do his will in this present age. What a faithful God we serve. He's so good to his people. You know, there are, yes, there are times that wicked people can exercise their will to hurt God's people, and they suffer for Jesus' namesake. But he is also good and merciful to his people in this time. He not only gives us what we need in this life, but he gives us tools that we need to help us carry out the Father's will on the earth. And I got thinking about this when I was studying my last message about how Christ became as low as the crimson worm. Maybe some of you heard that message. And, you know, Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was a teacher. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He did no offense to anyone except to the hypocrites and the evildoers of his day. He lived blamelessly. You know, he was born as a little baby, wasn't he? Isn't that what people celebrate this time of year? You know, he was a baby. He had a mommy. And he was beloved by his mother and his stepfather. And around 33, he suffered and died for the sins of the whole earth. And you know, when Christ asked if that cup could pass from him, and the cup did not pass, as I explained last meeting, uh, had, that cup, had, that, had Christ not taken that cup, we would all still be lost today. So I'm so, th- so thankful for the cup that he took. But when all was said and done, God still heard Jesus' prayers. Remember, we, we saw that in Psalm 22. He answered me. Psalm 22 is a psalm of suffering. But in, in verse 21, it says, He answered me. The Lord answered him. That's a messianic psalm. You have answered me. And again, in Psalm 16, let's turn there. How did God answer Jesus' life and his prayer and his supplication? He answered him in a mighty way. Psalm 16, verse, verse 10. What a beautiful, beautiful promise and ex- expectation that Jesus had in this psalm. This is a prophetic psalm of the coming Messiah. Psalm 16, verse 10. Here, this prophetic psalm says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or in hell, nor nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was risen from the dead. His soul was delivered from hell. God answered the Messiah's cries, didn't he? He didn't let the Messiah take our sins down to hell and stay there. He delivered his soul from hell. And even his body did not see corruption. Praise God. God hears our prayers, brother. That's my message, brethren. That's my message tonight. God hears our prayers. Let's turn to another example, a real extreme example of God hearing prayers. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. The story of Zacharias. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. God hears our prayers. That's why we wait on him. Luke chapter 1, verse verse 5. Now, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense 
when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Of course, that's John the Baptist. Another translation of the phrase, for your prayer is heard, says, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. What prayer? What prayer? What prayer has God heard? I I see no evidence that Zacharias was still praying. But a child... For a child or believing God for a child. And I'm going to explain to you why I think he he was no longer praying. Let me explain to you. However, our God is faithful. He had heard all the prayers that this man had offered over the years. Where do all your prayers go, brethren? Where Where did all of Zachariah's prayers go? Where did the prayers of Jesus go? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. Let's see where your prayers are going. We know they're going to heaven, but let's see. What happens with our prayers? Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. And then we'll get back to Zacharias. God hears our prayers. It says in Revelation 8, 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. God saves up our prayers. They are not forgotten, and they are not ignored. We see this in the account of Zacharias. God said, I have heard your prayers. When Zacharias was offering up incense in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. And the angel said, God had heard your prayer, or your prayer is heard. Zacharias, up to this point in his life, he must have prayed thousands of times for his wife to conceive. For the angel specifically references his prayer. You know, that's what couples do when they're trying to conceive. They pray. Christian couples pray. They pray earnestly. And you can imagine Zacharias and his wife praying through their 30s and their tw- maybe their 20s, their 30s and their 40s and their 50s. But was he still praying now that he was in his 70s and 80s and 90s? I suggest not, based on his reaction to the angel. We're going to see that in a moment. There's no evidence that in his old age, in his 70s, 80s, or 90s, or maybe he was even 100, that he was still saying those same prayers that he said in his 30s and 40s and 50s, assuming he even went that far with it. So let's go to verse 18 of of Luke chapter 1. And see what Zacharias said to the angel. Actually, let's, yeah, chapter 1. So the angel told him his wife is going to conceive. Chapter 1, verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And I think the angel was, was stunned here. The, I think he was stunned. Wait, I just appeared... I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm the angel Gabriel. Do, do, do you get that? I love this. This is like almost like heavenly humor. Uh, dude, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. 
Are you not getting it? Wait, time out. Zacharias, are you not getting this? I am Gabriel, who stands, you know, every day, I stand in the presence of the creator of the universe right by his side to do his bidding. Okay, okay, okay. You don't, okay, I, I see that. He said to him, so anyway, after he was done being stunned, he said, I was sent to speak to you and bring you these, this good news, <laughs> these glad tidings. But okay, behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. That's it. I've had, this is an angel's patience wearing out. He didn't have to go up to heaven to check. He's like, no, no. You're going to be mute until after John's born, okay? That's it. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time, like nine months from now. <laughs> so anyway, we see here Zacharias was not still believing God for this miracle. But what does it say? God has heard your prayer. God accumulated his prayers. Praise God. You know, and it says in, in, in Psalms, uh, you don't have to go there, I'll just read it to you, but Psalms 56, verse 8 uh, it's written here, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bo- bottle. Are they not in your book? Our tears are in the book of God. Our prayers are heard before God. You know, sometimes as Christians, sure, we want to keep believing God, you know, we want to keep believing God. But sometimes it almost becomes um, uh, a burden in itself. Like, if I, if I don't maintain perfect faith in God at all times, until the fulfillment of this thing, like if I let down for one moment, God's just going to disregard. That, that's on our heads a lot of times. We feel that as Christians. Like if I just let down for 15 minutes one day, then I'm not believing God and I'm not asking God. But God says, I have heard your prayers. That gives me faith. You know, God's not a nitpicker. Praise God. He remembers our tears. They're written in the book. Hallelujah. All of our prayers are recorded. He has heard our prayers. All of our tears are stored up by God. They're sweet-smelling incense to him. So anyway, now in Zacharias' life, all of his prayers, all of his tears were now lining up with God's will. And his timing, God's timing, even though his faith at this point was not what it once was, right? God's will is still being fulfilled. God has heard your prayer. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And when you get there, let's stay there. Uh, put your hand in there, even if I move you other places, okay? Because this is going to be a verse I'm going to go back to several times tonight. Uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. This is a beautiful and encouraging verse that I recently studied, and uh, I got a lot of encouragement out of it, so I want to share that with you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. I want to talk about waiting on the Lord and what we get out of waiting on the Lord. Chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isn't that neat? So Zacharias' past prayers lined up with the present will of God. God had waited, God had waited to do good to Zacharias and Elizabeth in a perfect time. Perfect timing. God's timing is perfect. When we pray according to the will of God, it gives the Lord the opportunity to do, the Bible says, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Ephesians 3.20. Answering, not necessarily in our time frame, right? 
but in his perfect timing. Now, what if Zacharias and Elizabeth had never prayed for a miracle? What if God had not heard the steady stream of prayers, at least for these 20 or 30 years that they prayed? Would it have been another couple's blessing to have John? We don't know, but perhaps. For God said he has heard Zacharias' prayer. Going back, stay right there in Isaiah 30. One of, the Christ, one of the questions that Christians have when our prayers are not answered is why do we have to wait? What is God accomplishing in us while we wait? And these verses in Isaiah 30 put us on the trail of what God is accomplishing when we wait on him. First of all, what are we praying for in our lives? If we're only praying for selfish things, you know, really God is no, under no obligation to answer them. You know, bless us, Lord. Amen? You know, like it says in, Psalms, uh, in James, let's turn to James chapter 4, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. We all know this verse. It's kind of an explanation why we don't sometimes have an answer to our requests. In the second half of verse 2, it says, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Many Christians do not pray, believe it or not, or do not pray much. I know I went through a period of my life where I did not pray much. That was the first problem. The second problem, when we do pray, our prayers are often so full of our own selfish interests, or we're just reacting to circumstances. We often ask God for the wrong things, and that is why we not, do not get those things from God. You'll notice in the model prayer, which I talked about a few years ago, you'll notice in that prayer how far down in the prayer are the specific requests that pertain to us. Have you ever noticed that? Our requests, the part that we want to, you know, we want to go to God and start praying out with, first of all, God, forgive me. We want to start off with our sins, right? We want to get forgiveness right in the front of our prayer. We may have something burning in our heart that we want an answer to right away. But the Lord says, in the model prayer, it starts out like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So we're already at the middle of the prayer before we get to mention anything about ourselves. You notice that? Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we finish with more praise for God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. God wants us to ask and pray in line with what his will is. And he wants us to prioritize that, doesn't he? And his will for our lives, brethren, when we're praying for God's will to be done, his will is good. His will is good. It is comprised of good things. Not only on this earth, but in eternity. Remember that very popular scripture that we all seem to know from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Let's, let's turn there if you don't know it. 29, verse 11 of Jeremiah. Most of us know this verse very well. I know our high school kids know this verse very well. They're at the stage where they're coming up with plans for their life. And they want to know that the Lord is involved in those plans. So in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says... For I know the thoughts or plans that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
When we pray, we should pray being confident that God's plan for us, His thoughts for us, are good plans and they're good thoughts. Amen? He's a good God. He is a loving God. But what if God, brethren, what if God was only looking out for your well-being in this life and did nothing to help you prepare for the judgment seat of Christ, where all of our life's work will be evaluated? On that day, the Bible says that the wood, the hay, and the stubble are going to be consumed, and only the gold and silver and precious stones will remain. Would God really be so good to us and so kind to us if all he was doing was preparing us for this life? Imagine, imagine this, for instance, for a moment. What if God's plan for you was this? A great life now, blessed beyond your imagination. Money, fun, possessions, hobbies, friends, family. A great life now. And then you just squeak into heaven. You get eternal life, but this is the package. You get this tremendous life now, you squeak into heaven, and all of our goods, everything we have, is burned up. Would that be part of a great plan that God had for you? No, it would not. Wouldn't that be having the world plus Jesus? You know, God has more than that for us. Let's turn to 2 Peter 1.10. God wants us to get into heaven with an abundance, with an abundant reward. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us squeaking into heaven by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin, right? He wants us to be walking into heaven with an abundance from this life, an abundance through the judgment seat of Christ. That's what he desires for us, Peter wrote. And I have no doubt that there are many Christians in our land who are following Christ until a better offer comes along. Do you realize that? A lot of people in this world that claim to be Christians, they are following Christ until they think they find a better offer than Jesus. But there is no better offer than Jesus. Jesus is the best offer to ever touch the planet. I say that to myself all the time. Jesus is the best offer that there is on the earth. He has so much for us. And his plan includes not only a blessed life here, but rewards in heaven. And I'm thankful for that. So let me just jump ahead now to waiting on God. You know, other times we're asking for the right things. Things that will actually advance the kingdom of God and to help other people make it to heaven. But we get discouraged sometimes, right? We get discouraged. Let's turn to 1 John 3.21. Sometimes we get discouraged even reading a scripture like this. Let's go there. 1 John 3.21. We want to pray for the right things. It's not not all about earth. It's about the will of God for our lives. 1 John 3.21 Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. 
and we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. When we look at verse 22, our human mind says, God, I'm praying for Your will. Give it to me right now. Why am I not getting the answer right now? I believe I'm asking according to the revealed will of God, and I have not received it yet. Why is that? And what is God accomplishing in my life while I wait on Him? Between the asking and the receiving. So even as we wait on the Lord, brethren, I want to encourage you. God is working in you while you wait on Him. We say, God, I am waiting. He says, son and daughter, I am waiting too. We just read that in Isaiah. You're not the only one waiting. Our Father, too, is waiting for us. He's waiting for the right time to bless us with the answer to prayer. It says in, again, Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. You know, God has perfect timing, brethren. He has perfect timing. The waiting experience alone increases our appreciation of what he then does for us. Clearly from Scripture. Our appreciation goes up. Our wonder goes up. Our testimony increases of his goodness, all because we waited on him. The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when it comes, it is a tree of life, right? You know, while we wait, brethren, we have hope deferred. We hope for an answer to prayer. And we can go, grow sick sometimes. We can grow depressed even while we wait for that answer. We can get down or depressed and we can struggle. But the Bible says God is waiting too. He's waiting for the right time to answer us. While we wait, somebody else is waiting too, and that's the Lord. He's waiting for that perfect time that hope would no longer be deferred. And that pause allows us to truly appreciate his answer when we get it. You know, God's not a slot machine, right? You don't put the change in and pull the handle and, well, you get nothing when you put money in a slot machine, I believe. But anyway, you get the feeling, you get the idea. So do you not think that Zacharias, when he got the receipt of this in his elderly age, the baby John was born to him? Was that not a tree of life to him in Elizabeth? The waiting increases our appreciation for the answer, and the answer becomes a tree of life to us. Now another thing, sometimes our waiting for an answer from God is because of the interference of Satan. That is a fact. That is scriptural. You'll see that in the book of Daniel, right? Daniel was praying, and he was praying, and he was praying. But the angel was blocked. The angel Gabriel, again, was blocked to come and answer his prayer because there was satanic interference. The response was delayed. And sometimes our prayers involve other people. You know, God does not force people to obey him. We have a free will. It's a wonderful blessing from God. So it takes time for God to work on people. You know what I'm praying for in the new year? I'm, I'm, I respect the, the free will of man, and I respect the free will. I get, all, I get all that. What am I going to do about it anyway? But regardless of that, I'm praying for the new year, for my targets of people that I'm praying for. I'm praying that God overwhelm them. Yes, yeah, they have free will still, but I pray that God would use all sorts of circumstances and all kinds of events and all kinds of problems if need be and all kinds of things both tender mercies and backs of his hand to get some people's attention. I'm praying that God will overwhelm some people that are on our targeted list. Let's pray that God overwhelms them. Yeah, I respect your free will. 
Now you can kneel. Now you can bow. Now you can respond to the Lord. Hey, he's done it with me. I know he can do it with others. Praise God. Another benefit to waiting, and this is a huge one. As we wait on the Lord for a specific answer, we have more communion with him and we get to know him more. What do we want the most? Do we want an answer from God or do we want God? Which is it? Do we live by bread alone or by God? By the word that comes from his mouth? You know, the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. This, expe- this, this tells us there's an intimacy. You know, what, what dating couple do you know of that doesn't get to know each other more and more and more over time, right? Talking to each other. And that's the way the Lord is with us. Our need as we wait drives us to him, and that's a good thing. And as we wait on the Lord, it starts out maybe with specific prayer needs, but then those prayer needs turn into communion. And as you commune more with the Lord and you talk to him more and more, you love him more and more. And when you love him more and more, you want to obey him more and more. And when you obey him more and more, he's glorified more and more. That's the progression. You know, we may start in our our needs to some need that drives us to our needs. But then we learn to love prayer and we learn to love communion with the Lord. And that communion makes us love him more. The more you pray, the more you know you need to pray. The more you pray, the more you love to pray. I really believe that. So as we get to know him more, that is a huge benefit. That's probably the biggest benefit to waiting on the Lord for him to answer. Sometimes God's delay allows him to glorify the Father more. Let's turn to John chapter 11. You know this story very well, the account of Lazarus, right? Jesus introduced delay into this equation, didn't he? He could have come when Lazarus was still sick. Couldn't he have? He could have come and just healed Lazarus, and and it would have been one of many, many, many healings, right, that Jesus did. And it might not even have been named in the Scriptures. But instead, Jesus allowed Lazarus to pass away. And then he still didn't come. He put more time on it until he was wrapped up and swaddled and made into a mummy and put in the tomb, right? John eleven four. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The delay enhanced what Jesus did. The power of what Jesus did. It brought more glory to God, not less. Even though the situation looked like it was going backwards, same for us sometimes, brethren, sometimes it looks like it's going backwards. Sometimes it looks like the deck is being stacked against us. And God is going to work it to good. He's going to work it to good when we're in his will. Jesus even cried over the whole situation, didn't he? But he he brought Lazarus out of that tomb. Amazing. A couple more benefits to, to waiting on God. You know, there's things that God is working in us while we persevere in prayer. God's plan is for us to grow up spiritually. He wants, us, he wants to enlarge our faith, doesn't he? And our character, too. But many times, one, someone once said this, we want to be delivered, not developed. Right? That's our preference. No, Lord, I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. 
I don't want help. I just want you to give me an answer to this situation. We want to be delivered, not developed. God, deliver me. Don't develop me. But God is looking to grow his people. And that's another benefit as we wait on him. In the book of uh, Romans 5, it says, And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. This is verse 3 of Romans 5. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. You see the chain there. Tribulation, perseverance, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Brethren, realize that when you're in a trial and you're waiting and you're praying, you're growing. You're growing because God is going to come through in your life. You're going to have more character. You're going to have more hope because you're going to see the answer to God, the answer from God in your life. That waiting and that persevering, you're growing. You're under stress, you're growing. God is enlarging your heart. And when you see him answer after that trial, your faith grows in leaps and bounds. We're looking for deliverance, but he's looking for development. Praise God. And one final note that we get from waiting on God. When we wait on God, it increases our dependence on him. And that's humbling, brethren. You know, it's humbling. We, we can't always make things happen. You know, some people think, that, think they can always make things happen. I, I'm going to make things happen here. Well, when you're dealing with other people, it, it doesn't work that way. We can't always persuade others to do the will of God, can we? We can't always find the solution or the answers. And all of that is humbling to us. But we learn to depend on God. Deuteronomy 8, let's turn there. Deuteronomy 8, this is the last verse of the night. Deuteronomy 8, 3. When we wait on God, he humbles us, we become more dependent on him. And that's a good thing. Praise God. So God is working while we're waiting on him. It's not a dead zone. It's an area of growth. It's an area of change. It's an area of communion. I think if we change our perspective on that waiting period in our lives, it'll be very encouraging to us as we wait. Deuteronomy 8.3 And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The time he allows us to hunger is a time of waiting. You know, when my wife is cooking dinner, I'm hungry, and I'm waiting. And she does it very promptly every night, so I have no complaints. But I get hungry, you know? <laughs> and so we wait on God, we're dependent on Him, and then He feeds us and takes care of us, and He comes through for us always. Praise God. And of course, that are, those are not all the, pos- the total list of reasons God has us wait for answers to our prayers, but there is no doubt, those, no doubt that those are some of the big ones that He is waiting for the absolute best time to bless us and review, to give you the answer you've been waiting for that's in, accord, in, in line with his will, it will be the best timing and the answer will be a tree of life to you. 
it will be an answer that keeps on giving to you. Every time you think about the time God came through for you, it'll give you life. It'll be a tree of life. I have things like, like that that God has done in my life. Every time I think about those things that he did, they are a tree of life to me. My faith is nourished. I get a little jolt of energy every time I think about those things that he's done. In the meantime, the waiting gives us a chance to commune with him and to grow closer to him, to get to know him more. The need drives us to our knees and into the presence of God. And that's a great reward in itself. And you know, and to know him and to love him more, and to love him more makes you want to glorify him more and obey him more that's so that he might be glorified in us. And the weight helps us grow in our Christian character. God's working. He's always working. And then he'll come through for us according to his timing. Even if it's a long time like Zacharias, when his prayers lined up with the will of God, but God will come through according to his will. So anyway, that just gave me some better perspective as I wait. Because I'm praying. I'm waiting. I'm praying and waiting too, brethren. And as I wait, I know that God is working in me like he's working in you. Praise the Lord. So anyway, that's my, my message for, the t- for tonight. And I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas and enjoy the celebration of the Lord's birth. And, and I'm going to pray and dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone that's here tonight. I pray that everyone would think about you, Lord, during this holiday season. If you think about how you came to this earth to save us, all that you've done for us, and appreciate the greatest gift of all time, Father. Thank you so much, and please bless my brethren as they're with their families and friends and help them to extend the scarlet thread of salvation to all of them in these coming days. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, brethren.